Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, I mean, glory be to the Father and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, one God, I mean. I'm going to describe to you this morning a mathematical problem. This plagued um, mathematics for a long time until they were able to, to solve it. So this is how it goes. If you imagine yourself in uh, one of those game shows on TV, and before you there are three doors. And behind one of the doors is a prize. Behind the other two, nothing. Okay? And the host asks you to pick one of the doors. So you pick a door. One, two, or three. Doesn't matter. And you think that it's one in three chances that the door I pick has the prize in it. And you'd be right. And then what happens next is that the host opens one of the doors. And he shows you that behind this door he just opened, there's nothing. So now the question is, he asks you, do you want to change or you want to keep your choice? Change or keep the same door? So I'm hearing, I'm hearing someone here saying change. How many people say change? How many people say keep the same door? How many people think it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter, right? Most people think it doesn't matter because it's, at this point it's just 50-50. But actually, this mathematician solved uh, that statistically you should change. There's a 66% chance that the prize is behind the door that you didn't pick. So you should change if given the opportunity. And a lot of mathematicians wrote in and they said, this is not correct, this is false. And it took a lot of debating until they found out that you should really change because it makes statistical sense to change. If you change to the other door, you have a higher chance of, of getting the prize. Now, some people, I'm not saying all, but some people look at Christianity in kind of the same way. They weigh the odds and the statistics. And in the 17th century, someone actually tried to solve this, uh, this issue. And I'm sure we've heard Pascal, thank you. Pascal's wager. In the 17th century, this French mathematician said that statistically, it makes sense to believe in God. And Christians were applauding this, saying like, wow, like, okay, this is a good thing for our team. We can use this. And people will still use it till today as something on our side that we can say, you know what, it makes more sense to believe in God. Because if you believe and God exists, good. You've gained everything and lost nothing. And if you believe and God doesn't exist, you've lost a little bit. Um, but really, you've gained nothing. And uh, if God doesn't exist and you don't believe, you've gained nothing, you lost nothing. And if you don't believe but God exists, then you've lost everything, right? So he's saying statistically it makes sense. And this is how people have used it. Either God is or God isn't. Reason alone 
cannot decide between the two alternatives. And that was his point. Whenever you hear about Pascal's wager, his point wasn't to prove that it makes more sense to believe in God. It makes more, more, more statistical sense. You have a better chance of getting the prize if you believe in God. That's not what he was saying at all. What he was actually saying that a faith based on reason alone is limited. A faith cannot be based on reason alone. He said, let us weigh the gain and the loss in wagering that God is, and estimate these two chances. If you gain, you gain all. And if you lose, you lose nothing. And he actually goes further, and he says something that we all think sometimes, but he says it in plain English. He says, nature presents to me nothing that is not a matter of doubt or concern. If I saw nothing in nature which revealed a divinity, I would come to a negative conclusion. I would say, there's no divinity, there's no God. And by the way, Pascal was not Christian. He was something like a deist. He was something related to Christianity. He believed this in this general deity, a general God who long ago created everything and just set everything in motion and stepped back. So when, we, when we're reading his stuff, we have to keep that in mind. And he goes on to say, if I saw everywhere signs of a creator, I would remain peacefully in faith. So if I saw nothing, I would tend to say there's no God. If I saw signs everywhere in, in, in nature that there is a creator, I would say there is a God. But here's the problem. He said, seeing too much to deny or too little to be sure, I am in a state to be pitied. Seeing too much to deny or too little to be sure, I'm in a state to be pitied. I cannot rely on reason, I cannot rely on faith. Wherefore, I have a hundred time wished that if God maintains nature, that nature should testify to him unequivocally. He's hoping that this would be the case, that nature would testify of God clearly and openly and give him all of this, even though he knows that if nature gave him too much to deny, his faith would be ineffective. So his intent was not to say that it makes more sense to believe in God or in a God, but he's saying that reason alone cannot prove or disprove the existence of God. Reason alone cannot act as the basis of a faith. Reason alone cannot get us there. And someone writing later on about his work, about Pascal's work and how it's often misinterpreted, he says, if men believe or refuse to believe, it is not how some believers sometimes say and most unbelievers claim because their own reason justifies the position they've adopted. It's not because they've reasoned their way into either believing or not believing. It's that belief in God does not and cannot depend solely on rational evidence, no matter the position, no matter the, whether you're for or against, whether you believe or unbelieve, it cannot have as a sole foundation reason alone. It cannot have as a sole foundation, we look at the outcome and see the consequences. Does it make sense to believe? Does it not make sense to believe? Is it beneficial? Around the time of Emperor Constantine, 
it became very beneficial to believe. You believe, it means you get a better job, you can marry into better and more powerful, richer families. You move up in society if you have the same faith as the emperor. So it made more sense to believe. It came material benefit. And a lot of people jumped on the boat and said, or on, on the wagon and said, you know what, we're all Christian. And the church said, well, hold on, wait. You want to be Christian? That's great, but we have to test you. We have to test whether you really want to be Christian or you just want a reference, something to put on your resume. Whether you really want to be Christian, are you prepared to walk and follow Christ? Are you prepared to carry your cross and follow Him daily? Or is it just about marrying that into that family who is also Christian? Because when we look at the consequences, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't make us want to become Christian just based on the consequences. It doesn't make sense that the Christians were Christians just because of the consequences. The disciples themselves, they saw their eldest become a martyr before their very eyes, St. James the Elder. He was the first to be martyred and certainly not the last. Had it been based on consequences, they would have said, you know what, it doesn't make sense. I'm willing to lose a little bit to become Christian so I can gain, you know, a lot if God exists, but I'm not willing to lose everything. I'm not willing to lose my life. And certainly it's not someone like St. Ignatius of Antioch who on his way to be martyred says, do not hinder me from living. He doesn't say this to the people who are about to kill him. He doesn't say this to the executioner. Do not hinder me from, from living. Who does he say this to? To other Christians who are trying to pull strings, talk to politicians, get the martyrdom halted and reversed, the decision reversed. He's saying, don't do any of that. You are hinder me, hindering me from living. We begin to understand, walking in their footsteps, that faith is not something solely based on reason, rationality. It doesn't get us there. We don't come here every day to review, every week, and we review all the reasons we're Christians. So clause number one, we're Christian because this. God exists because of that. The resurrection happened because of this. This is what people are saying. This is what people are doing. This is what is mentioned in this place and in that place to prove that the Bible, this is not what we do here in the church. When we come to the liturgy, we don't come to review the reasons we believe. We come to encounter the one who died and rose from the dead. And today when he's teaching them how to pray, we see that this is all about the encounter, not about giving reasons to believe. Our Father in heaven, we remember that he told his disciples and he's telling us as many as, re as received him to him, to them, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. We don't ask God when we stand up to pray, God, please be our father. We call him our father. We call him our father because this is what Christ taught us to do. This is what the church teaches us to do. One cannot have God as a father without having the church as a mother, as St. Cyprian taught us. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. The angels in heaven do not cease in saying, holy, 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 hallowed be your name. We're asking God to make his presence hallowed in our midst and in the midst of those who are awaiting his presence. 
your kingdom come. The question comes up that where and when is God not the king? When we say your kingdom come, he reigns, but only as long as we are willing to submit in our hearts. And when he doesn't reign, it's only in our hearts that he doesn't reign. In, in one of the medieval um, uh, stories, Dante, he writes that the, the demons dethroned God in their minds. God is reigning, God is king regardless, but in their minds, he became dethroned. And in our hearts, he reigns when we submit to him. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can the will of God be resisted? Can the will of God be opposed? What is the will of God? Some people ask, you know, if only God, God can save whoever he wills, whoever he wishes. And if only God would do this thing, this person would believe. Or when he, if God would only appear or speak to that person in that way. If only God wants to, he can. And then we're confronted with St. Paul when he tells us God wants all of us to be saved. God wants no one to perish. He wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So it isn't a question of the will of God. It's the question of the heart of man. Give us day by day our daily bread. There's a Greek word here that's mentioned only here. The word for, for our daily bread. And it doesn't mean exactly our daily bread. We read it sometimes as saying, Seek first the kingdom of God and, all, and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. First, the, the, the daily bread, give us what is spiritual and all the rest shall be added. But it actually means something deeper. It's, it's a word, like when we look in the dictionary, what we see in the dictionary is a collection of the places a word is used and ways the word is used. So you look at the word, or the dictionary. It tells you how the word is used and where the word is used and the pieces or the ways it's used gets listed higher up and if there are other uses that are less in use it gets listed further down in the list but every word has that and it's a collection of uses in the language but when we read a word that comes only once it's pretty hard to kind of figure out how it's used and what it means because it only comes here and still we have a sort of idea Epiusius refers to something deeper. It's not just our daily bread, our daily sustenance. It refers to the supersubstantial. It refers to the body of the Lord, the tree of life, the wisdom of God. This is my body, he tells his disciples. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Forgive and you will be forgiven. The forgiveness that we're asking is conditional on ours, our forgiveness to others. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation, he tells his disciples. And as soon as they slumber, they enter into temptation. As soon as they slumber, they betray him. As soon as they slumber, they deny him, even though he told them. Do not fall asleep. Watch and pray. When we see the prayer that he's teaching us, and this is the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, we pray every time we get together. 
no matter the occasion. If it's joyous, if it's mournful, if it's long, if it's short, doesn't matter. We always pray the Lord's Prayer. We always begin with the Lord's Prayer, even before the Thanksgiving prayer. We begin with the Lord's Prayer. So we come now and say, all of this, does it reflect a faith that is based on reason alone? Does it reflect a faith that is based on rationality? It reflects something much deeper. It reflects an encounter with God, not simply information about His existence and His address and His postal code. It puts us in direct, direct encounter with the Lord. We come to the liturgy. How many times in the liturgy do we review the reasons we believe? But in the liturgy, every single liturgy, we come face to face with Christ. We meet with Him. And He enters and He abides in our hearts. He abides in our bodies. He unites with us. This is what it means to be Christian. And for Pascal, every time you hear the word Pascal's wager, remember that it was never about asking atheist to switch teams and say, you know what, does it make sense to be an atheist? Become a Christian instead. It makes more sense to become a Christian. It's safer to become a Christian. Think in your mind, insurance policy. Insurance policy. Is Christianity merely an insurance policy? Is it simply about fire insurance? In case, I believe, and the cost of the, of the policy is a little bit of inconvenience. Is that what it means? Is that what Christianity means? Of course not. And even as a deist, even as a non-Christian, Pascal meant it this way. Pascal never meant it as an invitation to Christianity. Pascal merely meant it to say that faith cannot be based on reason alone. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart and we pray that it will not only inform you but will also transform you and your life with Christ.